Hello, everyone, and welcome to Yesterday's Heroes, Episode 11, The Other Guys. Last time, we finally got to the foundation of the Good Samaritans of America following the Battle of Savannah in 1963, and it occurred to me that so far we've been spending a lot of time on specifically the Silver Eagle. And now that's partly by design, as he's the one I find the most compelling, and after all, he was the first, but it would certainly be an oversight if I left out the other members of the GSA. Of course, I'd be here all day if I did a deep dive into every man who took up the Crusader's mantle, every young lady who put on the Blue Jays' tights, and all the costumed weirdos who served their 18 months as the rotating hero du jour. As such, I will be focusing on Minuteman, Starbolt, and the Human Shield. And don't worry, we'll get to Wilmer Thomas next time. But today, let's start with Minuteman. Lawrence, Larry, Hirsch Jr. was born in Providence, Rhode Island on January 27, 1932. Not much is known about his childhood, except that he had an indeterminate number of brothers, and his father, Larry Sr., owned and operated a boat. Really, it's not a lot to go on. Now, Hirsch later served as a Marine in the Korean War, where a stray bullet shattered his left elbow. And just like that, he found himself recruited into the Diomedes program. Not quite as strong or as durable as his colleagues, Hirsch was, to put it in the most scientific terms possible, very, very fast. As such, the folks at Rockbridge Media made Hirsch the team's speedster, the Flash with a little bit of a patriotic twist, and he debuted in 1959 as the Minuteman. Within the fiction of Rockbridge Comics, he was a soldier from the Revolutionary War, a literal Minuteman, who got zapped to the 20th century through some wacky scientific experiment gone wrong. And the accident gave him super speed and the ability to travel to various points throughout U.S. history for some fun, if rather dated, adventures in edutainment. Now, of all the members of the Diomedes cohort, Minuteman was the one we probably know the least about. It's because Satlow, our man on the inside, and spent the least amount of time with him. Indeed, perhaps the most interesting thing about Lawrence Hirsch was his eventual marriage to Lillian Boudreaux, the Canadian superheroine known as Pixie. So let's leave Minuteman and pivot over to Starbolt. The man who would become Starbolt was born James Benavidi on July 29th, 1932 in Little Italy, not the one you're thinking of, the one in San Diego. Benavidi was the only member of the Diomedes cohort from the West Coast, and from the sounds of it, he was the most personally charismatic of his superpowered colleagues. I seem to recall that he wanted to be an actor before he joined the Marines. Of course, his dreams of Hollywood stardom took a hit when an explosion tore up his guts in Seoul. I won't get into the gory details here. Suffice it to say, even though the doctors did an admirable job putting everything back inside him and stitching him up, Benavidi was still eligible for the Diomedes program, and by the time the trials were done, he was second only to the Silver Eagle in terms of strength and power. He later debuted as Starbolt in early 1960. His fictional self was an astronaut who passed through some kind of space anomaly, ended up on a distant planet, and freed a race of grateful aliens using a magical scepter. 
Sadly, James Benavidi has the solemn distinction of being the only member of the Diomedes cohort to be killed in action. While on a GSA mission to scuttle a ship smuggling men and material for the vicious gangster Paul Burke, better known as Chess Master, James Benavidi went down with the ship and drowned in Lower New York Bay. He was honored shortly thereafter with a ceremony here in New York City and also one in D.C., the New York ceremony included speeches from his teammates, as well as several city officials who had worked with him. If it's any consolation, Paul Burke would, later that year, be apprehended in what was the most effective and most high-profile law enforcement act in the GSA's history. And so, for all his faults, James Benavidi died a hero. The same, however, cannot be said for the human shield. Brian Henry Neal was born on May 1st, 1929, in Detroit, Michigan, making him the oldest member of the Diomedes cohort. He was the second of three children, three that survived anyway, and his parents sound like they alternated between being cruel and being negligent. And so, Neal joined the Marines at a young age and served for some time in the Allied occupation of Japan, where he learned that people would listen to him as long as he had a gun. And when the Korean War kicked off in 1950, Neil was transferred to the peninsula. And during one of the innumerable battles of Seoul, a house collapsed on him. He was fished out and patched up, but much of his body was severely scarred and burned, which of course recommended him to the Diomedes program. And by the time all the trials were done, he outdid his fellow lab rats in durability. Now, his fictional counterpart was a hard-working everyman who was exposed to a strange alloy that gave him nigh-invulnerable skin. And come to think of it, his character in the Rockbridge comics was an awful lot like semi-obscure Golden Age hero Steel Sterling. In any case, Brian Neal debuted as the Human Shield in late 1960, rounding out the GSA's initial roster. And this new band of heroes had plenty of evildoers to fight. We've already mentioned Paul Burke, the chess master, but there were certainly lots of others. You had the notorious drug runner, Madame Juno, the vigilante turned serial killer, Dr. Revenge, and the lovable insect-themed bank robber, Dr. Bug. Dr. Bug, by the way, would later reform his criminal ways, and in his civilian identity of Seymour McMorris, he uh, went on to become Derek's pen pal. Some people do get a happy ending. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention all the villains associated with Octopus, that loose collection of no-goodniks who received, through some means, KGB-furnished gadgets and enhancement drugs. All of that being said, fighting villains was only a small part of the GSA's hero gig. Truthfully, these heroes spent almost all their time cutting ribbons, throwing debauched parties to indulge in their vices, harassing women and minorities, lining their pockets through graft, and occasionally performing perfunctory acts of community service. Of course, the Silver Eagle took his job as a public servant and role model very seriously. He was far from a saint, but he avoided gambling, drinking, corruption, hard drugs, and all those adult things that the FCC won't let me talk about on air. The one real vice, it seemed, that he indulged in was smoking, and Lieutenant Green made a point to never be filmed or photographed smoking. Indeed, one reporter remarked, quote, 
It seems the one great deficit in his character is his sweet tooth, end quote. The same could not be said of his colleagues, and in Satlow's estimation, one of Derek's greatest faults was his inability to rein in the excesses of his colleagues, who were, essentially, an ill-behaved frat running roughshod around New York City. And according to Satlow, Benavidi was a Hollywood party animal. He was a hedonist, but he wasn't especially malicious. Hirsch, meanwhile, was a decent enough guy in isolation, but he could very easily be led astray. Brian Neal, however, was bad news. In many ways, Satlow's account positions Brian Neal as a foil to Derek Green. While Derek was a good man who made his fair share of mistakes, Neal was a cold-blooded killer, a brute, and a pervert. And from the sounds of it, he was also an unapologetic white supremacist who reserved special ire for the Jews. He was, in every way, a far cry from the GSA's stated values of wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice. So we'll leave the GSA there for now, and next time, as promised, we will finally introduce Wilmer Thomas. But before we go, I wanted to give everyone a heads up that there will only be two more episodes. The end of the semester is fast approaching, and I fear that I will be too busy with my thesis in the coming months to give you all the fresh new content you need. But we will get to the end of this story. We'll just get there a little more quickly than initially anticipated. So until next time, I hope you enjoyed the program, and thank you, as always, for listening.